Women on Screen Out Loud is proudly supported by Company 3 Toronto. Company 3 is the leading post-production provider to the world's top content creators. Welcome to Women on Screen Out Loud, giving a platform to women in the film industry who challenge, motivate, and inspire on all sides of the camera. We are your hosts, Lara Jean Korostecki and Jennifer Pogue. How do you know when you are being hired for your talents or simply to tick a hiring box? How does one navigate this? In her essay, The Only One in the Room, Writer and actor Ashley Cooper gives us an inside look into the writing room, frustrations in token hiring, and what it takes to stand up against the higher powers. Your heart rate is quickening. You fidget. You dart your eyes back and forth between your coworkers. Do you actually know them to be good people? Will they have your back? If you're a marginalized writer with experience staffing on a series, you've probably been in this situation. You've probably had to ask yourself these questions. This is what happens when you listen to a room of people who either do not look like you, do not have your lived experience, or both, while they talk about a character who does, and get it all wrong. It can feel particularly cutting to hear a character of your background presented as little more than cliches and stereotypes. If that's as far as they can perceive someone like you, what do they actually think of you? This puts you in the extremely awkward position of standing up for your entire demographic. Or not. You might like to think that if you found yourself in such a situation, that the decision to stand up for yourself would be obvious. But it isn't. Because of a lack of opportunities for marginalized writers, you often find yourself in these situations as the junior in the room, or God forbid, the coordinator or assistant. When you're in these, for lack of a better term, lower tier positions, you have to weigh the courage of your convictions against the possibility of being labeled difficult to work with, changing attitudes toward you for the rest of the room, or simply just having your voice ignored. Even if you're lucky and you find yourself in a room you feel supported, It can still be incredibly awkward and nerve-wracking to have to tell your boss they're wrong. This is someone you respect and like, someone who has the ability to help your career, someone you want to learn from. The power dynamic does not make speaking up an easy decision. And herein lies the real question at the heart of it all. Did they hire me for my expertise and the authenticity I can provide in this situation? Or am I a token? In an industry statistically dominated by cisgender, straight, white people, it can be difficult to be seen as more than your demographic. For my part, all my writing samples are sci-fi, supernatural, or otherwise genre in their execution. Yet I'm rarely seen for opportunities in my wheelhouse. I am, however, often seen for shows or projects that have prominent trans characters in them. Shows for audiences my samples do not serve. Shows in genres I've never written. If you're part of any writer's group, industry community, or just in general paying attention, you've surely noticed that the conversation of representation comes up a lot, both in terms of what stories are being told and who is telling them. Some think you should be allowed to write whatever you want, without exception, 
for no reason other than you want to, and hey, creative freedom, baby. Others believe if you're going to tell a story specifically about the experience of a demographic you are not a part of, that someone from said demographic should be involved to ensure authentic representation. If you're being hired on a project, you hope you're being hired by someone that believes in the latter. But sometimes, it doesn't feel like you're being hired to be a potential voice of dissent, speaking up when characterization has gone astray. Sometimes, it feels like you're being hired to be a patsy, so the showrunner can say, but we had one in the room, when fans or press or whoever point out the problems with the work. Junior writers should not be constantly put in these situations. One should not have to perform a risk assessment to determine if speaking up is a good career move. Showrunners bear the responsibility of changing this situation because showrunners, intentionally or otherwise, are the ones responsible for it. Most showrunners are cognizant of the power dynamic in their room insofar as they know the hierarchy of their staff's makeup. Not enough showrunners understand the political power dynamic of their room. I think for most showrunners, if they learned that someone on their staff felt something was off but didn't feel they could voice their opinion, they would probably be heartbroken. Most showrunners have the best of intentions when hiring every person that walks through their door. I don't think these situations happen because of maliciousness, but they are happening. The key to this, in my mind, is communication. If you're working on a show and you're seeing writers in a demographic that is important to the telling of your stories, make your intentions clear. I cannot emphasize how encouraging it was, what a relief it was, when I interviewed with a showrunner and they told me directly, we know we have blind spots where this character is concerned, and we're looking to be held accountable for doing them justice. This put me at ease before I even made the decision to take the job. It told me that the showrunner understood their limits and cared about getting it right. It was also an open-door invitation. I knew I could speak up. They wanted me to. That's why I was there. I'm comfortable enough in my own skin and in my abilities that I always speak up. My heart races. I fidget. I look around the room at my peers. And I speak up. I speak up because I want what's best for the character. I speak up because I want what's best for the people who will see themselves in that character. I speak up because someone must, and I'm the only one in the room. Coming up, Lara Jean and Ashley touch on trans characters and representation, tips for casting the writer's room, and more. I'm Lara Jean Korostecki. I'm here with Ashley Cooper. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today. I am very happy to do so. You start your essay by posing a couple questions about your experience in the writer's room. And these questions, you know, do you know your other writers to be good people? Will they have your back? And we had some curiosity surrounding these questions. As a marginalized person, do these questions of uh, do you, do people around you have the best of intentions? Are they good? Do they have your back? Do they extend and exist outside the writer's room? What was the first time you realized you had to ask them? <laughs> <laughs> the, here's the the tricky thing is that you as a, well me. <laughs> the tricky thing is as a trans person, you don't know what somebody's opinion is of you until it is explicitly said, hmm. basically. You, could, you, 
you can put yourself in a situation where you think you are around people that are queer inclusive, but there are still queer people who are trans exclusive. And so it's hard to know how you are being perceived until kind of it's made obvious, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so there's always, for me personally, it's it's kind of like a, I don't know if it's part of my neuroses or what, that I'm I'm always questioning whether or not I am being perceived as a woman or if someone is being polite to me. And so I kind of carry that into every interaction, professional or otherwise. And in professional circles, it's not polite to be an asshole out loud. And so it very rarely ever comes up in such an obvious way that you know for sure. Mm. Uh, So it can be, in certain circumstances, a tricky dance. It's that's so interesting. That makes me like the professionalism that people put on masks so much of true intention underneath. Whereas in a personal situation, you might be able to tell a lot quicker. Yeah. Uh, When you sat down to write this essay, then who who were you writing to? Who was in your mind? So many people. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Well, it. Oh man. It, 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 I joked, but yeah, it is kind of a lot of people. Like, it's funny because when I sat down to write this essay, I started with like some difficulty, uh, oddly. It, I found it difficult to get started and to like really ramp up. And as I did kind of hit that stride, the difficulty shifted to shutting the fuck up. Oh. Uh, because I was like, I only have a thousand words, but I could talk about this and tangentially related issues all goddamn day. Uh, I started, you know, I started going on a tangent about uh, the idea of consultants as a, as a safety net that solves all your problems and why that doesn't work. Mm. Like I, there were a lot of things related to this subject that I could talk about that are, that are relevant and important, but I was like, I kind of have to like stay focused. (laughs) Um, the damn women on screen people (laughs) it's well I mean like literally I I could just I could talk about like I could talk about it forever like if you if you didn't give me if you didn't give me uh, a word count I'd still be going it would not be (laughs) (laughs) it would not be productive to just give me free reign um but so it's 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 for a lot of people. It's for it's for showrunners who are staffing rooms and, and maybe not thinking as much as they should about the the demographic makeup of their room. Mm. It's for people who are not yet showrunners who should consider things like that as they're coming up. It's for people who aren't maybe they're not even in television. Maybe they're writing in film, and they're they're looking to tackle. X, Y, Z story, you know, I don't, I don't think a lot of people spend enough time on why me as a question, uh, you know, cause I, I kind of flippantly say, it's like, there are people that think you should just be able to write whatever you want, whenever you want for no reason other than you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that ignores a lot of very real world politics that prevent people from certain demographics of being the ones to tell their own stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a trans person, I know that pain very uh, clearly. 
because as uh, trans representation increases in popular media, the number of trans people telling those stories stays very low. Mm. And as a result, they get it wrong a lot, like way more often than you would think at this point. And it always kind of gets brushed off as like, well, we had a consultant, they told it like whatever. And it's like, nobody ever actually stands up to be like, yeah, sorry, that was my bad. I said X, right? Like there's always some nebulous person they get to pin the blame on. Um, or they cast a cis man in a, the role of a trans woman and they say, well, it was the best, the best person for the, for the job or whatever. And it's like, they just, they just ignore all of these very real problems with what they're doing because they say they had the best of intentions. And we all know how we built the road to hell, don't we? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's it's not just trans people. It's it's people of different ethnicities, people of different religions and cultures and stuff. Like uh, how many you know stories of of characters with like Muslim backgrounds have we seen butchered? Or uh, sorry, the Kim's Convenience disaster that we're all just starting to learn all the real facts about. Like it, it's happening all the time because there are well-intended cis hat writers who want to help. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't think they're doing this. I don't think they're malicious. I don't think they're ill-intended. I don't think they're, you know, I don't think they're bad people. Uh, I think they're trying to help. I think they're like, well, I have this power. I should use it for good. But they're, they're kind of wielding it irresponsibly in their well-intended way. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah it's, you know? Well, you talk so much about the tokenism too. And this, sometimes I think maybe the showrunner's hiring and then putting you in that awkward position of standing up for your entire marginalized demographic. Yeah. Which it, it gets so, it's such a sticky, tricky, messy thing to think and about. That's, that's it. It's sticky and it's messy and there's not a lot of clean answers because it, it, it the problem is because the system or its entire history has prevented marginalized people from coming up and building themselves into the position of showrunners mm -hmm. and, and executive producers and these things, where all of the marginalized people are still the sediment at the bottom. And there's only so many roles in general. And so you end up in this position where marginalized people are fighting for a certain number of jobs and a show that, say... I don't know what it, they 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 are telling X marginalized stories. They usually only have one person in the room that that is representative of that de demographic. And sometimes the unfortunate reality is that person can oftentimes be the only marginalized person in the room. Period. Mm -hmm. And so you end up in, with this position where it's like you're 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 not like your demographic is not this this blob that like exists as a singular thing, right? Like in, in the same way that like not all straight white men act like X, mm -hmm. not all queer trans women act like Y, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so you kind of like have to take on this position of like, I know what's important for me, but also I need to think about what the experience of my friends is like or people that I've read about online or like all of these other things. And you try to be everything to everyone for this one particular use. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's stressful. Yeah. It's like, 
it's stressful. It's exhausting. Like even even in even in rooms where like I have known that I've been listened to and where I feel encouraged and stuff like that, there is still an emotional labor element to it of having to be the person that's that speaks up, of having to be the representative you know, to, to, to flag these things or to be like, actually, that's not how it works. Or like this, this you you got this wrong. Like it takes effort because like, we don't like, we don't get to take that hat off mm-hmm. at five o'clock or six o'clock or eight o'clock or whenever. The <laughs> over, right. We, we, we don't, we, we don't stop having those conversations. Those are conversations we're having with friends. They're conversations we're having with family. They're conversations we're having with asshole strangers who slide into our DMS on Twitter. Like they're, <laughs> the, the, if you are a visible, marginalized person in the world, you are going to end up having these conversations over and over again. And, you know, as a trans person in a world where where trans is like, I'll quote unquote, like hot button subject right now, where like everybody's talking about like doing the representation right. And and there's this this misinterpretation that we're somehow like new on the scene uh, <laughs> and like everybody's like well they didn't have those when I was kid it is like like shit like that right it's like so p- there are a lot of people out there that are like for better or worse learning what a trans person is for the first time and so like we're we're just having these conversations all the time so to sit down and be like my job is to tell stories and I get to come up with cool characters and put them in terrible situations and get out, get them out of it or not or whatever, you know, and then to also have that level of like, I'm doing the, 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 the work of creating characters, creating stories, creating worlds, but then also I have to be the arbiter of good taste for how you are mm. portraying people like me. Mm. You know, it's, it's an added level of just like, ugh, <laughs> sometimes. I think so. I remember um, Afar and I had this conversation about making sure that a character, a marginalized character that you might be writing, isn't also representing all the other marginalized parts. So like you see a lot on TV how uh, your, let's say your queer trans character is also fighting off, I don't know, aliens or something. I don't know. They're also doing like the craziest things. And then the cis white people just get to be normal. Yes. That's a the yeah. fighting off aliens. I don't know what I was thinking there. But yeah, you know what I mean? Like they're Give they're me a queer trans woman fighting aliens, goddammit. That <laughs> actually sounds really fun. That actually sounds like a fun one. Hey, you should ah, yes, it was um far I remember now. It was the layering of identities that it's you know, straight white people get to be a singular identity, but the marginalized characters in our films and TV often have these layers of identities because God forbid we have more than one of them. So we better give one of them all the we've. This is something that we've only just, as an industry, started to get out of in terms of just even like, just in general women, Mm -hmm. right? Like, so, so many characters, like not even that far back, like was like, oh, you can have the the grizzled noir detective who's a man, mm-hmm. but then if that grizzled noir detective is a woman, she's also a single mom trying yeah. to juggle all like, and she has a drug I mean? addiction. Like, <laughs> she's got all the things. Yeah, <laughs> she's got all the things. Yeah, and so like the there's this like clean characterization that like men 
like just what men characters get to have. And then women were, were being given all these other things. And I feel like we're in now that, now that we've kind of got women generally sort of hand wavy gesture figured out, (laughs) we're now, we've now, we've now put that pressure on just marginalized characters of all walks of life. Uh Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, You, you did, you've talked about some of the positive experience in that, I experienced with the showrunner that was so positive. Can you take us past the interview? How how did the, I think you just touched on it a second ago, but how did that space in the active listening ear that you felt you had from that showrunner, how did that translate throughout the room and the production that you were involved in? It was so nice because basically what it did is like I touched on it in the essay is like it creates an open invitation. And so that barrier to entry of like, is this worth the fight? Is this going to be a fight? That's all gone. Mm. So you can just talk about it like it's, well, what if her favorite cereal was X? Like it can it can just be like, actually, I don't know if that works because of this. You know, like it just becomes another part of developing the character, another part of building out who they are, what their background is, that kind of stuff. Sometimes it's sometimes it's just basic factual things where it's like they don't have an understanding of how medical transition works, for example. Mm. And they they think, oh, and then they go and do this, I assume. And it's like, well, no, it this is an option, but then there are also this option, that option, that option. Like there are a bunch of different ways that this could go about, you know, technically, mm-hmm. or it could be this thing over here. That's not anything you thought of. And so it just, it, it just makes everything feel so much more loose and takes the pressure away a little bit. Whereas like, if you don't have that up front, you're, you kind of, you know, you're kind of trying to determine whether or not you need to pick your battles or like I had, uh, I had an experience where, I got to read the, like, before you interview, you you kind of, like, read, bi- like, the, the Bibles or, like, the pilot episodes and stuff like that. And there was, a, there was a trans character, and I was like, okay, this is, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, got the, we got in the room, and then we got to the day where we were starting to break down the characters, and it, it, we got to her, to her, and then I was, like, trying to figure things out, like, trying to figure out how to broach the subject. By the um, way. <laughs> yeah. And so because I didn't talk right off the top, other people started talking Mm. and building on top of the cliches and stereotypes instead of doing away with them. And so I just had I literally put my hand up and I was like, can I just for a second? (laughs) And then I basically ranted uh, to be polite. (laughs) ranted about like we have to start from scratch there's nothing uh, about this character that feels real it's all it's all built on on stereotypes it's all built on cliches it's not rooted in reality it's one one thing that I, i i have a real big problem with is uh cis writers insisting that they have figured out their trans characters dead names oh no uh, that's a thing that they do all the time. And so that was a thing that was in there. I was like, I never want to hear that shit in the context of the show. There's no place for it. It doesn't make any sense. None of these characters, like, it doesn't matter. Like, so I, I basically, I went on this rant and I talked for, I, it felt like forever, but I'm sure it was only a couple minutes. And I was like, countdown to me being fired. Three, <laughs> two. And then the showrunner was like, perfect. 
because to like this is one of those positions because this is where I, this is what I was talking about before where I was like I don't think these things are happening because showrunners are being malicious yeah. or they're they're intentionally not listening to people or whatever because this is what this is what the showrunner wanted yeah like the showrunner was a cishet like uh, uh, sorry, when I say cishet, I assume people know what I mean, but I, but they don't. Cishet is like, basically just truncated cishender uh, cishender heterosexual. Ah, so okay. a cis straight guy. Okay. So he was a he was a cis straight white guy, but to his credit, he was also the only cis straight white guy in the room. So he knew what he was doing when he cast his room. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it goes back to that idea of like unless it's explicitly stated, you do feel like you're running a risk by being the person that that says something sometimes. So really explicitly stating uh, intentions off the top at the beginning, making sure yeah. from the ground level that everyone is being supported and that there's all those voices are available in the room. It's, yeah, exactly. The idea of casting the room is such a great, great thing. A great, like instead of filling your room, it's like, no, ca- cast your room with everybody. It definitely uh, is. And that's like, that's something that I've heard from like several showrunners that I respect is like, it is very much like casting. It's who is mm-hmm. right for it. It's it's like coming up with the cast of characters for your show, right? Like, it's like you want people from different, from different walks of life that they're going to offer different perspectives and different lived experiences and mm-hmm. stuff like that, because it's going to make your show richer for it. If you have you know, th- there's a there's a there's a big tradition of like, oh yeah, I had to hire them. They reminded me of a young me. You know, it's like you're not gonna learn any anything from <laughs> no. that person. That person doesn't have anything to offer except to scratch your ego. No, you know? we were. Uh, who was it? Uh, I think it was Charday. Charday Hardy, um, who's a VP of acquisition and sales. She's in another episode this season, and she talked about like feeling like the idea of professionalism or the the idea of, of what someone should look like is so often like, you know, the 50-year-old white man being like, that person reminds me. So therefore, another 50-year-old white man is brought up. Yeah. And how you have to act like a 50-year-old white man to be professional, but you don't. You can yeah. be professional in who you are. And and anyway, there's so many different ways and breaking those molds is is so important. I, I want to ask just, uh, we talked a lot about this showrunner's responsibility here, and I'd love to throw it to you. Uh, if and when you become a showrunner, what do you want your room to look and sound like? And also, I'm going to give a little asterisk to that. I want to know, because you also talked about the genres and styles that you feel strongly. So what's your show going to be? Don't don't pitch it because someone will steal it. Um, but what, what, what genre would you love to write in? And what would your room look like? Oh, I want some with spaceships, man. Ah, yeah. Let me write spaceships. Yeah. <laughs> Preferably spaceships that have lasers on them. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And I just, you know, I want I want a bunch of people that'll say shit that I'd never think of in a million years. That's who I uh, want in my room. Ah, uh, you know? I love it. To end off our time with you today, thank you again so much. And how can we support you in your work? Um, I mean, I'm kind of everywhere online. You can find me on Twitter as at Ashley Versus. If you if you want to if you want to directly help, pay attention when you're in a room. Because it, whether or not whether or not you're physically in the room or you are on Zoom or whatever, pay attention to the people around you because you can always tell when somebody's got something to say and they're either waiting for the opportunity or too afraid to do it. And if you think somebody is being talked over, 
just try try and give them the floor. Try and make space for them to speak so that they know that at the very least, you've got their back. Mm -hmm. Because just knowing that one person in the room is supportive is sometimes enough to give somebody the energy to say something out loud. Mm. I love that. Thank you for your words today. Thank you for being here with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Ashley Cooper is a writer of films, television, and video games. She has worked with formidable talents such as David Hayter and Karen Walton, and for companies such as Cameron Pictures, Shaftesbury, and Mercury Filmworks. Most recently, she worked on the highly anticipated WB Games title, Gotham Knights. Thank you, Ashley, for joining us today. Be sure to check out future episodes of Women on Screen Out Loud wherever you get your podcasts. And check out upcoming events and initiatives from Women on Screen at womenonscreen.ca. Until next time, I'm Lara Jean Korostecki. And I'm Jennifer Pogue. And we are Women Women on Screen. Thank you to Company 3 Toronto for hosting us and for continuing to support Women on Screen. This podcast was created and produced by Lara Jean Korostecki and Jennifer Pogue. Executive produced by Farmerani, Lauren McKinley, and Kira Murphy. With original music by Erica Procunier. Sound captured by Devin Doucette. And sound mixed by Arturo Fuenmayor at Company 3 in Toronto.